This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Welcome to the CSM Podcast with David Nickturn. Creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. Blending spiritual and temporal realities, joining heaven and earth. We will be talking with a variety of manifestors, individuals who have, in one way or another, clarified their vision, created an offering, and brought that offering to the marketplace. Let's see what we can learn from them as we each move forward towards solving our own life puzzle. Facing the challenge of living in the spirit, in the body, in the world, in this time. If you're interested in supporting the CSM podcast, please visit eherenownetwork.com forward slash David. Shep Gordon was launched into public notoriety by the biopic Supermensch, directed by Mike Myers. He is exactly that. In Yiddish, a Supermensch. In Buddhist lingo, we would call him a bodhisattva. In the last five to six years of coming to Maui to play guitar with Krishnadas at the wonderful Ramdas retreat, Open Your Heart in Paradise, we always have a special dinner with Shep, family and friends, either at his home or restaurant here. He is the consummate host. Some of Shep's awesome CV is included herein, so suffice it to say that he is extremely well qualified as a manifester for our CSMB podcast. He is a giant in the entertainment world as a manager, producer, and collaborator, and pretty much single-handedly created the Super Chef category and brand. His entire life is about generosity and serving others, both literally and figuratively. In my recent trip to Maui in early December 2019, Chef was gracious enough to take some time with me to chat about, you guessed it, creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. So my guest today is the fabulous, wonderful Chef Gordon. Um, AKA, AKA Supermensch, <laughs> and many people know him. And we're sitting here in uh, at his house in Maui. And um, I wanted to have Shep talk to us about the creativity, spirituality, and making a buck because he's he's a great person to to talk about all three of those topics in one breath. So first of all, Shep, thanks for coming on. Oh, pleasure. Good to see you again, David. Yeah, we we often have a wonderful dinner here. Yeah, yeah. And this is maybe our what, seventh, eighth year, maybe. Yeah. I come to uh, play with Krishna Das at the retreat here with Ram Das, and we've hooked up together, so we usually have a you know, wonderful dinner, which actually brings me right to one of your first passions, which is food. Yeah. yeah. So I want to throw a question at you, okay, which I've been asking people lately, and you know, feel free to just answer spontaneously, but what are your three most important things in your life? Um, 
Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of levels of answers on a, on a very yeah um, on a very sensory level. Um, food, cannabis, um, and um, beautiful weather. Wow, uh, breeze okay. and things, but that's on a very you know on a very surface level. The, right. well, to about, go deeper would yeah. really take me a little bit of time to think about, um, okay. and really. Well, how about we go to the surface level, the intermediate level, and the, we call it in Buddhism the outer, inner, and secret uh-huh. levels. So um, let's call that your outer level. Yeah, so that would definitely be my outer level. I mean, I really, I spend a lot of time, I devote a lot of time to making sure my meals are special. Every day, kind of? Every day. Wow. Just about every, one, one meal a day, I'm a dinner guy, but I, if I'm traveling, I do a lot of research about where to go. I enjoy cooking here. I just, I love the culinary arts. I, it's, I, I think for me, it's um, certainly not, again, it, at certain levels, but it's very much like a, a Mandela, a San Mandela, because you make it and it's done. Ah. And everything I've created in my life, for the most part, lasts forever. Yeah. And it's so beautiful to make a meal, and it's over. Yes. Is cleaning up part of it? Uh, it's not, but that's funny you should mention it, because I've had a beautiful family here to, uh, in the last five days. Charles Palmer, or Charlie Palmer, a great chef, and he has four sons who are in their, I would say, early 20s to late 20s. And they made Thanksgiving dinner for 25 people, and they cooked every day, and they made bread. And they clean up, mm-hmm. and I have someone who comes in to clean, and I'm about to start the journey of having a child. And my last time around raising children, I had people who cleaned, mm-hmm. and I said to my to the mother of the child to be, we can't have someone else clean when this baby's born, because ah. the beauty of seeing this family um, engaged and taking care of themselves. Yeah. Um, was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, the completion of the, the whole completion cycle. of the whole cycle that uh, it, we, it was a big topic of conversation this morning. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so um, where was I? Intermediate? Is that where? Well, we did. We did the outer, which was. Yeah. Um, I would say service. Is probably my what brings me the most amount of joy on a deeper level, when I can make somebody happy or help somebody or do something that, you know, has some impact on somebody's life, um, whether it be giving them a great meal or helping them in their career or supporting them with the resource that they need. That, I think, for me, is um, everything else sort of stems from that. And it took me a long time to know that. And see it, and and uh, I got really lucky. I had two teachers who weren't my teachers, but they didn't know they were my teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, who got their joy through service, and um, things started to make sense in my life. I never could figure out why I did things. Mm-hmm. Um, and once that light bulb went on, I could really see why, I, you know, um, why I did what I was doing. And can you say who those teachers are? Uh, Roger Berger, a chef. Okay. who was someone I really spent a lot of time right. with. He changed your life. Um, who really okay. changed my life. Okay. And then I, 
uh, His Holiness, who I didn't spend a lot of time with, but spending any time with him is like spending a lot of time with anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> that's His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Yes, the Dalai Lama. There's other holinesses floating yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, that's yeah. And both of them, I, although never discussed, you could see their joy came from service. Yeah. And um, I was in a profession where service and compassion were, were weaknesses um, mm. rather than strength. So I almost... Meaning music? Business? Yeah, music, entertainment, business, most commerce. Uh -huh. I think most commerce is very male-dominated, very locker room-dominated. Um, when you get to the higher levels yeah. of, of any business, it's um, a small fraternity of locker room guys for yeah. the most part. Wow. And compassion is a weakness. Yeah. Um, you know, um, they, they, my philosophy of business always was to have two winners in 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 most circles of higher commerce if you if you don't they're more interested in having a loser they've mm -hmm. won already so much they don't need to win anymore so their mm -hmm. their motivation is to have a winner and a loser yeah um in in the buddhist paradigm we call it the jealous god realm is it one the, of the six realms and yeah, competition they, and envy and power yeah exactly are, are the are the kind of currency mm -hmm. of it right um they're, they're actually below what's called the God realm, in which pleasure and bliss are kind of the currency. You've kind of made it. Right. Jealous God realm is a, you could lose it. You could, yeah. So you, you've got to keep your eye on the prize. I, um, yeah, it, it, I never could understand uh, why sometimes I would be one of them, knowing I wasn't, but I'd make believe I was. Mm. And um, as I started to realize that I really enjoyed, sir, I started to see that it was that I didn't have to hide it, mm. um, but for years I hid it. You know. So were you able to navigate staying in that world and uh, modulating towards a kind of more holistic or service? I, I, I was because mentality? I didn't I didn't have the same goals. Uh -huh. I think if my goal was to accumulate, mm -hmm. I probably would have. Um, it would have been a more difficult journey being of service. Mm -hmm. But my goal was to be of service. It wasn't about accumulation. Right. Right. Um, so once that light bulb went on, um, and I gave up the thought of, you know, uh, why don't I have an airplane too? Mm -hmm. um, and realized because that's not why I do what I do. Right. Um, I was able to really combine the two in, yeah. in, a, in a comfortable way for me. I, I didn't have to lean on the crutches of... Uh, alcohol and all that other stuff to try and um, get through the days. I started to have a clear vision of, of what I was doing. So I think that's, you know, kind of unusual. And it's, it's sort of what we're hoping to deal with here in this platform, in this, this book of like the idea, can you integrate those different elements, like a service uh, mind mm -hmm. with a, um, being potent in the world, being active in the world. Oh, yeah. So that's unusual, right? Then, you know, mm -hmm. um, you chose two masters, one who is sort of a worldly master, one who's a spiritual master. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. And you put it together. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 extremely And got the uh, one of the high points of my life was getting the two of them to meet. Ah. And it was just it was so beautiful. Wow. His holiness took Mr. Verger's hand and held it for probably twenty minutes. And they just looked at each other in the eye and it was just this beautiful ballet. Um, Where was that? It was in New York City at the W Hotel. Uh -huh. It was um, 
was there. For me, it was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was an interesting evening. I was so, I was so focused on getting Mr. Verger to meet His Holiness that almost everything else was blinded me. So the way that I was able to orchestrate that so that it was a win-win situation was to do a benefit for His Holiness in New York um, at a very, very high ticket price with the 10 um, best chefs in the world. Nobu, um, Mr. Verger, John George, um, 10 of the greatest chefs in the world who all want, um, who all wanted to meet His Holiness. So for them, it was the greatest thing ever for His Holiness was raising money for a cause that really mattered. Sure. We raised a lot of money. And um, so in my, my uh, gallop to get these two to meet, because that was really, that was my, I, I created the event so they would meet. Right. Um, but I created, but without a selfish interest, uh, you know, so that everybody won. And um, the way I presented it to all the chefs who I also managed and worked with, who were friends, was um, you're going to cook food that the, His Holiness is going to eat. <laughs> and it was like, you're kidding me. Oh, my God, what should I make? And after everybody committed and the ads went out and we sold all the tickets, uh, one night at like 3 in the morning, I woke up and said, oh, my God. He doesn't eat after sunset. His holiness. <laughs> so, so then I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? I can't ask him to eat. He doesn't eat after sunset. I have the 10 greatest chefs in the world all preparing dishes and coming there under the guise of him eating their food. With other guests. Or yeah, there, there were 300 people. But they didn't care about that. They cared about it. Watching him yeah. take one fourth, sure. you know, that's a dream of their life. They've worked their whole life for this moment. So it took me days to figure out a solution, sort of. So I went to Rinch and Darlow, who was handling us all in this at the time, and I said, I told him the truth. I said, I really screwed up, and these people are going to come with an intention, and I know that his holiness doesn't want to make anybody unhappy ever, the same way we don't. Would consider having 10 sips of broth. Would he try a, a spoon of broth from each one of the chefs? And they said, yes. So I went back to the chefs and I, I said, I you know, completely screwed up. I'm really sorry. But, but they got to put it all in the broth. So they did it in the broth. So he had 10 spoons of broth. And we got through. Another part of the story that I love, I don't, I don't want to get dwelling on this story, but it's just so beautiful. Um, when we get into the building at the W Hotel, the, the Secret Service says... Um, where are you going? I said, I'm taking his holiness um, into the kitchen first to meet the chefs and say thank you because they were really the drawers. Holiness wasn't a super a rock star in those days. Right. Um, and um, this was 88, maybe 89. Mm -hmm. And the Secret Service said, you can't do that. Yeah. So um, I didn't do it. So we go walking and we get to the kitchen door and his holiness hadn't heard the conversation. We get to the kitchen door and his holiness says, what that? And I said, that's the kitchen. We go. And I said, well, hold on. said, secret. No, no, we go, go, go. Uh, we went uh, in. He got all the chefs off the line. He yeah. sat him down on a couch. He yeah. took pictures with him. He like, knew. He knew. He just, yeah. he just knew. A lot of stories like that. Yeah, he just yeah. knew. He always knows. So anyway, 
I don't know how I got there, but well, service. We're in the intermediate, just to catch up. We're in your intermediate three most important things. Mm -hmm. We did the outer, and this is the inner. Those. So you, you've got to come up with two more. You've got two more uh, in the inner level. That's a really interesting question. Um, My teacher used to say, first thought, best thought. Yeah, I don't really have a thought. You know, no. my life is sort of, um, I mean, I, I love my friends. Right. I love, I, every minute is so good. You didn't, you didn't mention them in the, in the outer. Yeah. yeah. So let's, can we put them in the inner? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, all, all my human relationships right. are really important. I don't know if you'd call it inner. I don't, I don't know if what drives me, I've never really spent the time to dig in. It's interesting. Right. That's why I said with it you asked. Right. I've never really spent any time digging in. Right. I know that I have uh, issues that I could definitely work on that probably answer a lot of those questions. Mm -hmm. um, I know I have self-worth issues. I know I, you know, um, that's probably my biggest hole. I know that um, my childhood was a difficult childhood. So, um, Intimacy has always been a challenge, mm -hmm. um, but I've never really, I don't feel like I've let them intrude heavily on my life. They probably have, mm -hmm. but I haven't. Um, so it, I may just not be a deep guy. <laughs> I'd really enjoy smoking a joint and having a glass of wine and watching sunset. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff yeah. there. I just, I don't really... I, well, it sounds like relationships is important to you. Important, always difficult, but important. Okay. Um, I um, I have a, you know a lot of people in my life that I love. I have four children yeah. that I helped to raise. Um, they're you can't get more important than that. But I don't think of it as. I, I, it's funny. It's an interesting question. I don't because I think of it as my life, not some inner. Mm -hmm. It's just my life. Right, right. Um, love my dog. Yeah. Yeah, and you have lots and lots of friends. Oh, right? so many friends. So I'm so blessed. Yeah. I mean, I, I live on this beautiful beach. I have uh, the resources to eat, help my friends, yeah. take care of my family. You might be a singularity chef. <laughs> if I think of who's sort of like got that combination of elements, it might be hard to come up with. Yeah, no, I'm really lucky. Yeah. I'm really blessed. When, when I did my three, the first was joy, mm -hmm. sharing, and food. And those, I didn't think about this at all, because the best way to do it is just fire it out there. Uh -huh. and, uh, and did you consider those surface, or did you consider those No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, this, I'm, I'm improvising now with, yeah, the, right. with the three layers, the three levels. Yeah, exactly. I'm just, but, yeah, I, I think those were um, um, just what came to mind overall. So, yeah, it's true, probably when you... If you think about it in terms of, uh, you know, what we would call practice, you know, in the right. Buddhist world, there is a notion of going deeper into mm -hmm. in, into things and um, maybe more introspection. But you're also going out at the same time. It's interesting. Some of the practices, you go way out and just mm -hmm. kind of expand into the space around you without kind of worrying too much about the self uh, holding on to it. And others, you go, you, you dig deep into the right. kind of sense of what, I don't feel like I've ever dug really deep. Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know why. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm scared <laughs> to see what's down there. But uh, Well, and um, you wouldn't be the first person uh, to, you know, 
but it, it, I mean, just speaking as a Buddhist, the Buddhist side of me, the right. Buddhist teacher side of me says that's that's where a lot of people, like I think I mentioned to you, that I went with, uh, you know, I had this quirky thing happen with the new book where one of my cousins has a, a big law firm in New York, and they just out of the blue, I, I was actually going to visit them for, you know, when you break the fast uh, mm-hmm. on, on Yom Kippur, yep. and my cousin, the, 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 uh, who is, is um, married to the guy who's the head of the big law firm, but she's also a lawyer, she just looked at me, she said, we're having our entire international gathering coming to New York for, the, for uh, a conference, and what I want to do is buy 445 copies of your oh, book and fantastic. give it to each person in our company, right. and then have you come and address us. That's so, fantastic. So I just found yeah. myself as I often do, yeah. like kind of just showing up or whatever right. arose. And then um, I was meeting with the partners in one of the meetings and staff and others. So these are obviously bright people, mm-hmm. sharp people, you know. And the two exercises I did with them, one was um, just sitting for three minutes, basic mindfulness meditation. Which is really difficult. Well, for that guy, if my cousin, who's, you know, extremely capable, right? right and, and loving fellow said the three minutes was hard for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and that's one thing. And then the other thing I did was a practice what's called deep listening, a dyad. You sit with just one person, and one person only listens while the other person speaks mm-hmm. for five minutes, which is very unusual because right. usually we're uh-huh. you know batting uh-huh. the ball back and forth. And and do you give them a topic? Yeah, you can, yeah. and it could be anything. Uh-huh. You know, uh, a lot of this is. A lot of the reason I wrote the book is seeing if, if people are in alignment with who they really are and what they really want to be doing. And like, this is the lifetime to manifest that, mm-hmm. not like 100 years from now or something like and, that. And do you think that being of service is something you're born with or something you learn? Is it an innate sense? I believe it's innate. And I'm probably, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, probably would, uh, His Holiness would probably agree there's something we call bodhicitta. Mm-hmm awakened heart and they say it's a natural uh, you know just like your actual heart is natural the quality of wanting to um, love and be loved and Mm -hmm. um, is innate in everybody that's what that's what Buddhists would say but it can get covered over Mm -hmm. with uh, traumatic uh, events uh, hyperactivity of the mind Mm -hmm. you know emotional blockages all those kind of things Mm -hmm. Uh, but I believe it's natural. Which are all readily available in the marketplace. <laughs> yeah. in, in this world, yeah. they're, they're, they're abundant. So I, I think one of the, the uh, for me, one of the teaching moments, I had very few teaching moments in my life. But one of my teaching moments was going to a restaurant with Mr. Verger. And um, the food, would, I, didn't, I did not like the food. So I didn't eat much. And he finished his plate, and he finished my plate. And when we left the restaurant, I said to him, what did I miss, Mr. Verger? Because I didn't think that was good. And he said, oh, chef, it was horrible. And I said, if it was horrible, why did you finish both plates? And he said, because the chef will be watching the plates when they come back to the kitchen. And I did not wake up this morning to ruin someone's day. Mm. Very easy for me to eat bad food. Yeah. And that, for wow. me, was such a perfect teaching moment yeah. of how to go through life. Um, and that's what, so. That's why you call him a master, right? Yeah. That, that's, yeah. that's somebody who's tried both approaches. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And found that that one makes him happy. 
Well, and, and that's exactly what the Dalai Lama always yeah, says, right? Yeah. He says, if you want to suffer, think of yourself, and if you want to be happy, think of others. Exactly. So, no, no, it becomes really obvious. Yeah. yeah. And and I personally, you know, I contemplate it a lot because I don't want to like um, just buy into something because it's possible. Mm -hmm. But I think I pretty much have come to the conclusion that people have this in them. Yeah. I don't. I can't. Yeah. I don't. I don't see enough people practicing it that I yeah. get convinced of it, but it sure. seems to me common sense it should be. I think for me, my first, um, my dad was the kindest, gentlest man I've ever met. Oh. So I think for me, that's that's what what instilled it in me, even though I didn't really think about having it in me. Mm. And I acted, I never really understood why I did things. Like I did so many things pro bono. Um, that people would say, you're out of your mind. Like when I started representing chefs, <coughs> all my peers, I did it all pro bono. And I never understood why. I, I was like, say to the kids in the office, why am I doing this? Could uh -huh. someone figure out you, why you, I'm doing this? No. Oh. I thought maybe ego. Uh -huh. um, yeah. um, I thought it could be ego. Uh, you know, look how, look how cool I am. Mm -hmm. I can do this. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know. I would look in the mirror and say, why exactly are you doing this? And I never, and it was really through Mr. Verger and um, I started to realize that um, well, I shouldn't fight it. I should yeah. enjoy it and, right. and embrace it sure. and be thankful that it that that's what I do. He was actually enacting in that story you just told one of the most basic um, Mahayana Buddhist principles there is, which is exchanging self for others. He was thinking about the other person yeah. and putting that at a higher valuation. Always. And, um, you know, it's one thing to learn that through, like, going to be trained in a school or something like that. It's another thing just life squeezes mm -hmm. that into, you into that shape. And, you know, I'm not the only person who thinks this, but you're one of the most generous people I've ever met. And that's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's evident in every every time we've ever visited, you know. So what about the other people who can't access that? I feel really, you know, I feel really sorry for them. I don't know if that's the answer to happiness for everyone. I, I try um, in whatever little way I can. When I see somebody who I see is um, in my world, in my artistic world, too. So I know that they'll sort of listen to me because I'm old enough now, enough right. experience. Um, I try and turn on the light bulb for them by bringing them here, having them spend some time. Uh -huh. um, that was how I got together with Mike Myers. Um, yeah. That's what started our journey. With or without the prospect of working together on it? Don't want to work with them. Yeah. It's just about yeah. seeing a person and kind of... Part of my rules is I don't work with them. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't. The ones I work with, I don't... Do you just... Oh, so the ones that you work with are not yeah. part of that yeah. paradigm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm in a very different relationship, and yeah. it would really be right. intruding on him. Right. Um, but I, I, there are many, but there's, you know, I, I offer it all the time. Right. Um, and, and, and let them know I don't have any answers to anything. Yeah. You know, if they're looking for a frozen food, um, like, uh -huh. I'm going to be here in two weeks, and then I'm going to be happy. Yeah. yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah. But, um, well, gee, what... <clears throat> but what I do is I just cook for him. Uh -huh. I make chicken soup. Yeah. Um, I talk story. We laugh. Um, take him on walks on the beach. 
Yeah. I don't really, I don't really have anything to say to them. Uh-huh. You know, uh, if I think they're ready for it, I'll tell them the Verger kind of story. Right. right. You know, um, but uh, I think it's, I think it's, uh, for the, you know, we're so lucky. Just where we get dropped out of the womb, we're so lucky. Um, that you try, you know, you, you got to share it. Uh-huh. If you if the light bulb goes off and you actually figure out, or think you figure out how to get happy through this journey, yeah. um, you got to try and share it. Because if you don't, know, someone you know. I, I did a talk at the uh, Culinary Institute graduation, and I said, "You guys are so lucky. You're going to walk into these, you know, fine dining restaurants. You're going to make a lot of money." Um, you're going to make $100 dinners for people. You're going to walk out your front door, and to the left and to the right are going to be homeless people. Mm. And you can either feed them because it's the right thing to do and out of compassion, or you can feed them because if you know they're going to break your window and steal everything uh-huh. from the restaurant. Uh-huh. <laughs> but either way, do it. Right. Right. <laughs> and um, if you do it enough times, you're going to start to feel good. And that's, um, yeah. that's what I try to relate to other folks. Um, I don't really have any... I've never had a spiritual practice uh, that I, but I guess in some ways what I do is a. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the way, uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of different ways of looking at all this, but so the classical Buddhist paradigm is that part of the spiritual practice is just kind of training your own mind and sort Mm -hmm. of getting more familiar with your own emotional and mental landscape so that you're not surprised by it. You know, it's not obstructing your operation, but a much bigger part is just uh, how you interact in, interact with other people yeah. and other beings, even. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, it's called Mahayana. The big, the big. That's the Dalai Lama's like huge uh, spread. Yeah. And there is no practice for that other than actually doing it. Right. Yeah. You know, there's little thoughts about it, like, well, what if this comes up or what if that comes up? Mm-hmm. But they all lead towards opening, you know, out outward. So I would say that is a form of practice. Right. Especially if maybe at some point you go like, I don't want to, you know what I mean? That comes up like, mm-hmm. or you want to pull back right. and go like, not for this person. Right. Then it becomes kind of a practice. Uh-huh. Like, are you gonna- yeah, I've had that. I've, I've felt that tinge. I get very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I feel guilty when I do that. When but you, I do it. When you pull back. Yeah. And, and, yeah. 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 So some of those practices are about how to work with that. Uh-huh. Uh, and in the practice, does it say it's ever right to pull back? Do you follow an instinct? Yeah, I mean, I think the subtler and more contemporary version of it would be, you know, it's not about creating uh, a lack of boundaries, for example, mm-hmm. or, or uh, codependence. That wouldn't be the point. Mm-hmm. So you could create a healthy boundary in a situation where it's probably going to be good for the other person, too, at that point. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, that might be what they need, communication wise, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't mean compassion is not always sickly right. sweet. Right. It's not always nice. Right. You know, it can be clear at some mm-hmm. points. You know, no, you should stop doing That's, that. Yeah. Yeah. Good thought. Yeah. yeah. yeah but, I, if I don't help somebody, I always feel a little guilty, but I feel yeah. like there's a reason it's good for it to. Yeah. You know, but that's a nice way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's deep because then also, uh, you know, uh, there's a famous guy in the history of Buddhism named Atisha, and he had, um, he was practicing his compassion so fully that he wanted to have irritating people around him so he could practice his patience. <laughs> that's a kind of extreme. Ver- he's kind of famous, you know, Buddhist uh, explorer that way. And they said that when he went to Tibet, you know, he was going up to Tibet and uh, they asked him to come and teach there. 
and he was concerned because he heard the Tibetans were really kind of nice and happy people and benevolent, and he wouldn't be able to practice his patience there. <laughs> so he had a Bengali kid, a Chaiwala tea servant, who was an obnoxious, you know, bratty teen kid, and he said, well, I'll take him along, and then I'll continue to practice. So, yeah, I mean, it depends how far you want to go with it. Some, I'm sure somebody like His Holiness probably is rarely having to frame it out that way. Right. Like that's been processed. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. It just doesn't see it that way. Yeah. No, he's pretty, uh, yeah. Right, because if somebody comes, it's not like me, you. Yeah. I always you felt know. when I was, I had very limited time around him and I was always too nervous to speak to him. Mm. So um, I, all my information sort of came from watching him. And the feeling I always got with him, at least, at least my interpretation of it, was that his eyes would always see the miracle in something mm. before he saw what the object was. So every object was a miracle. Wow. And he always... he. Every time he, you know, you'd show him, I'd give him a flower, or I'd bring him his meal, or a new person would come in. He'd see this exuberance of like the miracle of life that would sort of manifest into the like very fresh. Yeah, like everything's miracle, fresh. like a miracle. Yeah. Um, uh, at least that's what I got out of it. So that, you know, for me, that's sort of my practice when I find myself getting in a little bit of a hole. Yeah. Um, what where you were just talking about uh, a, a compassionate way to not do something right. for someone. Right. For me, I think I, I go back when I when it when I'm not as um, as bright as I'd like to be. Yeah. Um, I go back to that thought of let me see the miracle on everything. Well, that's a good second inner one. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, but for me, at surface. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's pretty deep, actually, because you you go into a certain place to see that yeah it's almost it, for me it's almost like a um it's like putting lenses on the glasses yeah it just makes it easier for me to be compassionate and seeing the miracles a kind of freshness yeah just, perception, you, just allow you know, it to be new yeah just allow that that how special it is yeah you know um i walked past my plants and um, when i was a young kid if there was a brown leaf on it i would never think to water it uh. Now I look at it, what a miracle, oh my God, it's not, it needs help. Wow. Um, so I go water it. Yeah. Um, just a different way, you know. But talking about miracles, congratulations again on having a baby. Yeah, right? thank you. <laughs> wow. You are a brave guy, man. That's... 74. Yeah. <laughs> When I get older, do you know? <laughs> well, 64. Yeah, 64. <laughs> I passed it by 10, <laughs> 10 years. years later. <laughs> Doing May, you said, right? You do in May. Yeah. Little Ben. So um, let me choose a, a topic from the book. Let me throw a couple of topics uh-huh. at you. And you tell me which of these s- stimulates uh, some kind of thought process on your part. Success and contentment. These are chapter titles. Um, if, if, in terms of commerce, I don't think one has anything to do with the other. Okay, you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, I okay. think... Um, I, I can't say one doesn't have anything to do with the other, but um, they're almost two different worlds to uh-huh. me. Um, I, it's almost it, it's um, who's it success and what's the other contentment. word? Contentment. Contentment. It's it's um, 
I don't see much of that. I, I, what I do see is success, um, crisis, and a small amount of people getting through it, uh-huh. and the rest don't. And what happens to them that don't? They just have unhappy lives, you know, yeah. miserable, uh, complaining about everything. Because they, they are frustrated that they're not getting what they thought they uh, For a million reasons, but, you know, the guy next door has a bigger car. Uh, uh, the woman got promoted over me. Right. Um, I couldn't get the building. The guy bid less than I did, and then yeah. he got it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. All this external nonsense. And the success, it, it, I think if they can understand that the success is being happy, and they can be successful, then they get through, and then it's a beautiful thing. Because one of the things I'm trying to get at here is I kind of guess maybe change the definition of success to, to be success on your own terms. Yeah, I think it's... Which could I, include, you know, anything the, you want to include. And then that was my interpretation. Right. When you say success, I think of monetary success right. in, that, in, right. in that context. Right. And so I was totally talking about monetary success, right. not human success. Right. But that's where the big gap is, right? Monetary success and human success. And do you find that people who've like really gone after monetary success are often the most dissatisfied people? Yeah, they're unhappy. unhappy. Just unhappy. Wow. Just unhappy. Can't find anything to hold on to. The race is never over. Um, they're, they're, everything's external. It's how much they have, how much they, you know. I saw in one of your, uh, you know, dialogues that you had, that um, you felt fame was like a real danger, yeah, getting really toxic. Well, fame, success. Yeah, I mean, they're both they're tied. So it's rare to find somebody who's. Um, is it easy to find somebody who's navigated uh, financial success rather than fame? Are those two things can both sort of. I think they're both equally equal? as dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and then something about both. Yeah, some have both. That's and true. what about power? Should we throw power in there? Power or? is really dangerous. Yeah. yeah. But power, I don't really understand because I haven't been around it. Uh-huh. Um, not, but fame and, and monetary success, I really understand. Each of those three seems to have its own basis to me. I mean, you know, just the visiting that I've done in those realms. Uh-huh. In other words, they're separate. They're distinguishable. Yeah. Power is really interesting because you, you can get power without having accomplished anything. So to me, like it's the... It's the the guard at the uh, you know at the at the the, uh, the concert who's got the power to say who comes in and who doesn't and and can turn their unhappiness into a making everybody unhappy at that right. little tiny bit of power yeah or the stewardess on the airplane right who's got the power over you right. to, for that little, in that situation, that little that little moment, who can just make it. I just, I just went through a thing with, um, with my girlfriend and uh, at the airport that was just, you know, a a, a, a guard attendant made we we fly all the time, made her her bag didn't fit in the rack uh, because we were at winter and she put her winter coat in it. We were uh, coming home, so. Said to the lady, "I can take my coat out and I'll wear it," and she said, "No, you can't." Oh. And uh, I said, "Ma'am, she's pregnant. She has her medicine in there. You step back, Mister." Whoa! Um, I mean, it was why it was power gone crazy sure. on her. So, 
you know, power is a rough one, but success in the others, I yeah, actually could Yeah, you don't need a lot of power, depending yeah. on the situation, yeah. to be the powerful one yeah. in the situation. Yeah. Whereas success and all that, you need, right. it, yeah. there's at least there's some... Uh, Checkpoint Charlie Exactly, or there's something, right. yeah. Wow. How did it resolve? Uh, we didn't have the bag, and she didn't have her medicine. <laughs> so you ended up checking the bag? and Oh, yeah, she was, she was calling security on us and having <sighs> pulled off the plane if we... We didn't fight her. She just had the power in that moment, and she was going to pick somebody, and it was us. <laughs> and God bless her. And, you know, it didn't matter. It, it, it was you know. Yeah, yielding didn't. You didn't have to give up something that would. Have, uh, it took us an extra fifteen minutes to get our bag, but it was just. Yeah. Boy, speaking of power, that's power is very bizarre, um, and unique, right? It's not unique. necessarily always like, for example. You could say it's based on money, but in that situation, it's no, clearly no. not. Yeah, no, you know? no. And uh, here's another... I think it's based on on unhappiness of, of many humans, and because they're not happy with themselves. They're so not they happy. Acquire, yeah. they acquire external so they, landmarks. They, they want. They make other people unhappy. They, mm. you know, it's just mm. they uh, they're unhappy, and this is the way they become somebody. Maybe for the moment, I don't completely understand that, but I feel sorry for. Her. I mean, I really yeah. felt sorry for that lady. It's like what pain she must be in. Now those those three things: uh, the, the power, the money, and the fame. My perception after decades in, in what we do, you know, the, the, the work that we're in, is that people don't get there without really a strong desire to have that. Do like, you agree with that? I would say the uh, monetary wealth definitely. What about fame? I, I really fame is some people that sneak through, and just it happens. In most cases, in most I mean, in most cases, it's manufactured. Well, or, it's a or there's a strong drive towards. That's, I mean, that's what I mean right, by right. you know, it's it's a it's yeah. it doesn't randomly happen, right. but there are random things yeah. that happen. Um, but you know, just by the force of the person's talent. Yeah, a writer, a, an author of books, Oprah will pick a book. That's a good point. By someone like Daniel Goleman. Do you know Danny? No, but he, he wrote Emotional Intelligence, uh -huh. and it was uh, not even he was the first guy on my podcast. He, it was not even his idea. He he kind of developed the idea, uh -huh. and then it just took hold, yeah. and it's yeah. just, it's been like. A, so I think there's way there are way you know yeah um, there's there's baseball players who you know there's a yeah that aren't part of a Nike system or something right. where, where people but but for the most part takes a family, as they yeah. say. So it's, it's, it's yeah. you know. Artists, though, it's interesting. I've looked at it because I produce records and stuff. Artists, I look for that thing where I, I, I know that they want the spotlight on them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, you can just feel that yeah. energy. It's like, just put it. Put well, my, my theory in most cases, I, I've dealt for the most part with artists who are live performers, which are very different than actors. Um, it's a whole other set of problems, a whole other set of things. Yeah. But in the live performance world, my theory, which may be true or not true, is that um, it's such a um, journey of rejection to get to mm. a place of, of being famous. Yeah. That you have to have something driving you so hard yeah. to be willing to take that rejection. Usually it's, it's what I... Feel, you know, self-worth issues, and you have self-worth issues, you need people telling you you're great. Right. You get that first applause, yeah. and you say, wow, if I could get that all the time and from bigger and bigger, I'm right. going to be okay. 
but then you're headlining Madison Square Garden and you still have the same hole in your stomach that you had when you thought that. And that's when the trouble really starts. It's like a drug. It's a drug. And that's when the drinking, that's that's when you start looking for crutches. Um, So, you know, that that to me is sort of um, the common thread of most great artists, performing artists, is this deep insecurity that comes out in these really bizarre ways. Um, well, that it, here's another, um, you get a feeling for the flow of this, but one thing I, I, that we talk about here is clarifying your offering. Like, what is your offering to the, to the world? What, mm-hmm. what would you like, you like to offer your cooking and, yeah. and, and, and your um, ability to sort of handle intricate situations. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a real repeating theme in, in the stories I've heard from you, mm-hmm. which is that you get yourself into a pickle and you got the shovel and you're digging out this story about um, Alice Cooper being shot out of the cannon being the perfect example of it. It's like, you get them in the cannon and you get them out. And yeah. that's kind of one of your offerings is so many stories end up like with that kind of precarious uh, yeah. energy quality and, and you're going down to the last minute. Like the dinner for his holiness. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and I've heard others over the years. And so when you think about a lot of people they're not clear what their offering even is. There's just mm-hmm. a lack of clarity. But you know, and it's interesting that the millennial people they use this term hyphenate. Have you heard this? No. So in other words, you don't say I'm a, a producer. You say I'm a producer, writer, cook, all with the hyphens. Yeah, yeah. And they don't want to define themselves uh-huh. as one of those things. Yeah. So, what is your primary offering? And then is that offering going to be your livelihood offering, or uh-huh. just something like when you cook here for your hundred friends that come over? That has nothing to do with your livelihood. Yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, it's very distinct. My um, my offering in life is a sanctuary. You know, that's what I consider this to be here. Have you called it that? Yeah, yeah, yeah wow. it's sort of my sanctuary. You know, wow. and I love it. Like it's an open door policy. People come and go, and we just cook and. And uh, I'm one of them. I mean, yeah, it's just no, no, it's, yeah, it's, it is like o- open doors. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's um, and um, but in my business. Um, my focus always was um, that I won't make you the most amount of money. There are other people that will make you more money. Maybe. Um, yeah, in most cases, because I, okay. I after after my first um, my first one or two artists, I never took a artist who didn't have a number one record um, because I didn't want to have to go through that thing of startup. <laughs> figuring out if they're going to make it right. personally. Right. Can they take the heat? Right. Um, so I was really lucky. It was I had artists that, were, that had the ability. You could see they were about to make a lot of money right. one so, way or the other. But they had already gotten onto the playing field. They were on the playing field. Not, not true for Alice Cooper, right? You, no, you, you I started with Alice and Ann Murray. Those were my two. But after those two, then my, you know, my next act was um, Raquel Welsh. Everybody... <laughs> Everybody in the world knew Raquel. Then Groucho Marx. Was like, um, then Blondie. Oh my then, god! Uh, and then I started, you know, a lot of musical acts. Um, but they were—they all had real careers. Um, so what my thing was with them is, um, I won't make you the most money, but you won't need. No one will need to ask what your second name is. They're not going to say Teddy who, uh-huh. Alice who. Uh, Raquel, who right. uh, Luther, who right. um, you, 
I, I know how to make you famous. Wow. Uh, somebody else can figure out how to make you rich. So that that's kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I could potentially argue with you about, you know, like, I'm not sure anybody else could have made Alice Cooper as much money as No, her. Alice is different. Yeah, okay, that's, that's a union. Yeah, that's a union. It's a one-off. Yeah. But the ability to create recognition and fame is, mm -hmm. as, as a uh, enabler. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you get facilitate the money. Facilitate that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the difference was that I, I, I had no interest in squeezing the dimes out. Right. You know, so it, my artists never made quite as much as other artists. You go into the same building, you make less because we didn't squeeze anyone and we overpaid everybody. Uh -huh. We did everything, you know, or we, we weren't there to right. hurt anybody. Yeah. We were there to get famous. I mean, <laughs> of all the people, Groucho Marx has to go down as one of the, like, he was a great, you know, we'd yeah. be in a room like this and we'd sit here and he'd say, uh, is this Shep my manager, uh, David? <laughs> and you'd say, yeah, that Shep said, hmm, funny, it doesn't look like a crook. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, that, he was that way all the way through. All the way through. Yeah. <laughs> I actually quoted him in a Buddhist section of the book. He should have had a Buddhist streak somewhere through there. You want to know what the quote was? Yeah. Impoimentance, impoimentance, yeah, impoimentance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the title of the chapter. Although he, he was hysterical. Yeah. Um, so that was, I think in business, that was my thing. To flip that switch. Now, I find that really interesting because that means you understand something about psychology of the people who are out there in the marketplace. Yeah, oh, very much so. Yeah. I mean, what I always tried to do was not wait for history. I would write history. Uh -huh. um, so um, that translated into things like um, Teddy Pendergrass was the sexiest artist in right. the world. Right. Um, he only had a black audience. Uh -huh. How do you tell white women that in your right across the street is the sexiest man in the world without being arrogant? Yeah. Once you tell him, yeah. he's not the sexiest man in the world anymore. Right. So, so for me, it was what what do I want those women to hear or see? What do I want the you know twenty four year old secretary uh, who's white working at the in, for the government to pick up the newspaper or turn on the news? What do I want her to see that's going to get her to go see Teddy Pendergrass right. or listen to his music? And um, I came up with this idea of uh, for women only concerts. Wow. And we did concerts at the Greek Theater and Radio City Music Hall for women only. It got a huge news. Would that even be legal now? It uh, wasn't legal then. It was not legal? No. Uh, but but we did. We, I mean, I, I had the record company wanted to drop Teddy for it. The lawyer resigned because I was doing it. Wow. And I said, You guys are crazy. So a guy comes up, we'll sell him a ticket. Ah. I'm just saying it's for women only. Okay. Guy comes up and they say, "Well, you can't say that. It's a civil rights issue. It's right. a boom. It's a go fuck yourself." And, yeah. Um, wow. And excuse me. Um, it's okay. It's yeah. We're on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> no censor. And um, the toughest part was figuring how to advertise it, because if I overplayed my hand, I thought it another arrogant, you know. So we find it took weeks to figure it out. We came up with an ad. It was a stuffed teddy bear. Right. That said, come spend the night with me. Love Teddy. And um, so you defanged it. We way. defanged it. But then at the concert, we gave out chocolate teddy bear lollipops. So, <laughs> so I got pictures in the, in the news of uh, licking the lollipop. You are fearless. <laughs> but you got to. But that's 
But that's a quality. You're kind of fearless. Yeah, you do what you got to do yeah. and have fun. Yeah, you know, and uh, have a good time with it. And I had artists who, um, you know, Teddy respected me. He said, "Can you actually pull this off?" Because everybody yeah. thinks you're wrong. Yeah, and I said, "I got it." Yeah, I got this. Um, so, so you're offering. I can make you famous. Yeah, and also I, I professional offer. Yeah, that's that. And, and that's I, what you did with the chefs too. You made yeah, them famous. That's were, what I did. You, you, yeah. What? What? And it's clear as a bell. Wait, yeah. Now you're hearing you talk about it. It's yeah. clear as a bell. And, Could and, you teach somebody else how to do what you do? I don't know if I can. I, I've never really tried. Chef Junior. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's. I there's guys out there who do it even better than me now. Uh-huh. There's a guy named Scooter Braun. Uh huh. Sure. Who does it better than I ever did it? I don't know if he uses the same. Um, if his thoughts are the same, and he's really good at making artists money, right. but I watched him do Ariana Grande when that tragedy happened, sure. yeah. and he turned the tragedy into making her the biggest artist in the world. He turned the shooting at the Manchester Arena wow. into a worldwide television show. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. Yeah, and that's kind of that's brilliant management. Yeah, that's taking a lose a horrible situation. Right. And making it a win-win for the community in Manchester, they right. got to go free for his artists. Wow. For uh, just a brilliant—that was brilliant management. Uh huh. That he did March for Our Lives. So you know, you know what's interesting is that that uh, leads almost to to this uh, another topic that is um, be fluid and adaptive. Impermanence is pervasive. Um, and the quote—I have a quote from each. Uh, be like water, my friend, from Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and in fact, yeah, that's where I quote Groucho Marx as saying, giving a Buddhist lecture on permanence and permanence and permanence. <laughs> um, so your stories are, are almost marine like in the adaptability aspect. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you just, is that because you just don't lock and load ever? You're, you're always willing to, to shift uh, and change the game? Yeah, or I don't move? even know. It's, what it, it's whatever it calls for. Yeah, but so, you don't panic as the moment comes closer. Do you panic no, right oh, at the edge oh, of the panic, oh, oh. or you just don't panic? <laughs> You're having fun. But I'm intense. Yeah. Okay. Oh no, I'm really intense. Yeah. It's warfare. Yeah. I mean, I'm intense. Everybody around me knows. Right. You know, my team is fantastic. Right. They just uh, support. They got it. You know, they do, do what I'm telling you. Right? Yeah. They yeah. just they got it. They do, and I get really intense. Right. I mean, I you the you have to have total control, and there has to be only one one thought. Um, if you're going to pull stuff like this off, yeah, because this is complicated. You know, a lot of this stuff has um, security issues. Teddy's, you know, Alice's billboard coming down. Right. Um, I did an eighteen thousand uh, panty drop on the Hollywood Bowl. They're all. They're, these are all. <laughs> they're all. These are, you know, it's got to be. Wait a minute. 18,000 panties? Yeah, it was great. It was, uh, From what? Uh, Alice had an album with packaged and panties. Schools out. What so it, I got a helicopter. A helicopter. And we, we knew the guy would go to jail because it was heavily against the law. So we found someone who needed the money and it was a good win-win. He needed. Did they come down individual panties? 18,000, yeah. Individually? Yeah. yeah. They were not uh, bundled together no, anyway. 18,000. And did people like grab for one? Oh, or? Elton John uh, took a dozen home. He was in the second row. Oh, my. That was you said. That's what made him go to the big glasses and stuff. Was that show at the Hollywood Bowl, seventy three? Why big glasses? What was it? Because uh, you saw the theatricality of Alice. Uh-huh. 
Oh. All he was doing was playing piano at the oh. time. And he said, shit, I got to get sequined and get rolling here. Right. <laughs> he came right. backstage after he was booked. That's a good chapter title, 18,000 Panties is yeah. a good chapter title. Uh, but, that, you know, oh, wow. it was, if I thought of something to do, then I, I, I did it. And you, as the obstacles arise, going towards it, you don't panic? No, you just get it done. Yeah, you just get it done. Yeah. A lot of other people would be wrong, getting tighter and tighter. As yeah. they get closer and closer. And you don't, you know, you don't win every time. Ah, okay. So you got to be prepared to, you know, yeah. and you and the artist got to be prepared to lose and then try to make the best of a bad situation. Ah, okay. I didn't get that sense from. Oh so yeah, from no, we lose. So you, there was some. You can't go out on a cliff like this right. all the time. Yeah. Um, and not get whacked once in a right. while because okay. this is pretty out there on the cliff. Right. And then you just make. I think uh, the canon. There's a canon story, a very famous canon story that in my in my life in my career. And um, I'll tell it very fast because it's a long story. But Alice is playing Three River Stadium, Pittsburgh. First time anybody other than the Beatles is playing a baseball stadium in America. It's Alice Cooper. I want to do something special. And what would be shit? I'm going to shoot him out of a cannon across the stadium. <laughs> so, so I go to uh, Warner Brothers, who built all our props at the time. The guy who built our prop, I tell him what I want to do. He doesn't even look up at me. He's got half glasses. You know, one of those old studio guys. He, he said, what period canon? And I said, what period canon? He said, yeah, Revolutionary War, World War One, World War II. And I said, but, any canon. But goes, those cannons aren't big enough to put a person in it, He goes they? to a drawer. He takes out blueprints of different cannons that shoot people. Because it's a trick. Oh, okay. So you get in. You crawl out. There's a dummy inside that's dressed like right, you. Right. The dummy shoots. Right. So I thought he had it. Yeah. He was so confident that he had six different kinds of cannons right. for me to pick. So I, and I'm a young guy. I'm mean, uh, 23 years old, 24. Okay. So I tell Alice, you're going to get shot out of a cannon. Are you kidding me? Shot out of a cannon. I said, yeah. And I made the horrible mistake of putting it in the radio ad. So um, I had learned on one of our first failures, which was I put him in, in see-through clothes, a clear plastic clothes, and called the police, said there was a naked band on stage because I wanted to get him arrested for indecent exposure. You did want to get him arrested? Because yeah, yeah. that would have right. you know, gotten us pressed. Right. And by the time the police came, the clothes had fogged up so they wouldn't arrest him because you couldn't see anything. So I had learned you had to rehearse. That was what it taught me. So, uh, so we take the cannon out. We staged the whole thing. Alice gets in the cannon. We're in Grand Rapids, Detroit. Light the fuse. Boom, big explosion. The dummy comes out two feet. Drops like, holy fuck. Alice is in the cannon, so he doesn't know. How'd it go? I said, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. What are we going to do? So I said, you go to sleep. I got it. So I got it covered. So what else can I do? So I get to the hotel and had fire extinguishers that you turned upside down and white foam came out. So overnight, we put genitals and hair on the cannon. We made it into a penis. So the whole that, cannon. The whole cannon. Right. So Alice shows up and I said, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Right. You get on the cannon, you rub it, you masturbate it, you lick it in this right. white foam. It's going to come on the first 40 or 50 rows of the audience. It's going to be the coolest thing ever. Right. And he said, really? Yeah. So anyway, he gets on, he's licking, he's humping, he's doing the foam drops out. We're the only people in the audience that know any, even have any idea what it is. It's like the whole audience. Like, 
And now, <laughs> now we got one more rehearsal, and um, which sold out. 58,000 people, Three River Stadium to see Alice get shot. And it began it across the stadium. And I know it's not going to happen. Right. What do I do? So um, Alice gets to the show the next day. He said, what are we going to do? Because he, he's, he really leaves it to me. He's really easy. And I said, well, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen, but I have a feeling that you might spend the night in a hospital tonight. And he said, what? And I said, yeah, just, I have a premonition the cannon might blow up tonight. And he said, you're kidding. And I said, no, just stay with me. It's going to blow up. And the ambulance is going to come. You're not going to get hurt. They're going to take you out on a stretcher. Uh-huh. We're going to make believe we're taking you to the hospital. Right. I got a crew here from the TV station in Pittsburgh. Right. I got one of the roadies dressed as a doctor. We're right. going to do a press conference on the corner of the hospital right. saying that you've been burned. And uh, but you're clear to do the concert, but you have to do it from a wheelchair. You can't get shot out of the cannon because it blew up. And we went and did the concert in a wheelchair. And he got rave reviews for being. Now, this is, I think, about 50 years ago. This is uh, 35, 40 years ago. Oh, wow. Now, would you do anything like that today? I would never make the same mistake. Yeah, I mean, do do you have occasion to to exercise this part of your. uh... What I learned is that you don't advertise it unless you know you can do it. But are you still, like, there? there's a whole section on daring here and creativity. Mm-hmm. Are you still operating that part of your oh, yeah. creativity? Yeah, yeah. You're doing wild stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah? That's right? what I do. Right, right till, to now. Oh, yeah. Right. Wow. That's what I enjoy. No. Still. Yeah. The edge. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not knowing if it's, you know, you know, then having that moment where you look in the mirror and you say, I pulled that off, man. Yeah. Give yourself a high five. How how important do you think that is to just creative people? To just I don't think important at all. Really? That's my core. Artists? You don't think artists need to get to that? Yeah, age? maybe. I mean, some do, some don't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, no, I think, um, I, you know, if um, I never dealt with uh, down the middle of the road stuff. Uh-huh. But I think, you know, if you're the eagles or you're... They're not pushing the edge. Yeah, you, know, you don't need to push You're the finding edge. the middle. Yeah. And, and then really... Strengthening and strengthening it, yeah. and that, which I again, if you're in for the money, that's where you make the money. It's in the middle. It's in the middle. Yeah, and all this age stuff costs a lot of money. Costs and money. It costs money. Right. It's risky. Right. Yeah, it's risky. <laughs> There's um, <laughs> sort of but it's fun. I I um, I did some scoring work for TV for this woman, um, Linda Gottlieb, who was. Um, Produced Dirty Dancing, you remember that movie? Yeah, sure. So Linda was a big time, you know, hotshot New York producer, and she, she produced a couple of TV shows that I wrote the music for. And she used to have this expression, and I'll bet you've heard it. It's stop polishing a turd. Have you ever heard that? Maybe. Stop yes. polishing a turd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, putting lipstick on a pig. Yeah, that I've heard uh, a lot. Yeah. You know, feet. I, I came up with one uh, feeding a dead pet. Yeah. You yeah. know, and she would just say, um, you know, you get to a certain point with the project and you go, this is not happening. And you keep, you, now you're invested, you reinvest. And at a certain point, you just pull the plug. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever had to pull the plug on one of your crazy ideas? And just got, you know, this is not going to work. I got to go back to the drawing board and start fresh. I'm sure. I mean, I can't think of one, but I'm sure a hundred times. Yeah. yeah. And then it's just yeah. fresh start. Yeah. You know, for it. yeah. Part of the process. Yeah. Um, well, um, what a... What an amazing life you've had. <laughs> it sounds to me like you're in the middle of it. Yeah, I think so. I'd yeah. call you middle-aged. Yeah. You know? And, you know.
you know, the, the interesting thing is, um, you know, you've been around all these, what I would call, because it says spirituality, what I would call spirituality is just working with the heart and the mind. Mm-hmm. People do it a lot of different ways. There's sort of formal ways. And the thing I'm concerned about is that some people go off and do that and they become experts in that, but they don't re-engage the world on its own terms. Mm-hmm. And people who engage the world on its own terms sometimes don't really sort of travel with the heart mm-hmm. and mind journey. So I, I feel like that's an old paradigm to separate those two out. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sort of curious talking. So you've been around uh, a lot of spiritual, quote-unquote, practitioners, the Dalai Lama being mm-hmm. you know, a very serious, in addition to being kind of um, anointed as a, as at a very early age, mm-hmm. he also practiced his ass off, right? right? Um, mm-hmm. he, he, and, and studied. Mm-hmm. So, was there ever any pull or lure no. towards any of these traditions to just no. go like I want to no. Judaism, anything? Or? No. I, you know, I, 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 I'm very strongly tied to Jew, Jewish culture. Mm-hmm. It's a really important part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, Jewish, yes, okay. Jewish food, Jewish cooking, rituals, um, holidays, rituals, but not. It, or, I mean, I belong to a synagogue here. You do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't speak Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand it. I, I go to services mm-hmm. at uh, Rosh Hashanah. I'll usually go or Yom Kippur, usually once a year. Yeah. Um, I got. I, I think when I found out my parents, when I heard my parents weren't going to the high holy day services because they couldn't afford the good tickets. Oh. The religion lost me completely. Spiritual materialism. Yeah, it lost me. Like mm-hmm. it was a one second. Right. I went from a kid who was. Excited about being bar mitzvah to basic, you know, fuck you. Yeah. Um, and I never went back to a synagogue from that moment on. So when I got here, yeah. we didn't have a synagogue. And um, the whole bunch, island, there was the whole here. island. A bunch of Jewish friends of mine got said they wanted, and we all said that we would fund this rabbi. Yeah. If they never charge for tickets and let everybody in, every yeah. every one of us had had the same experience as a child. We, I guess mm. Maui drawers, those kind of people. Mm. But one by one, we all said how irritated we were about having to buy tickets when we were growing up ah. uh, for the high holy days. Right. So we have a beautiful house. It's a temple here. And no charging ever. And do you go there? I go for Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. Uh-huh. Um, but I support it financially. Right. But but I, um, I, um, I don't feel at all I don't, I don't feel there's no connection between me and the Jewish religion. Yeah, but there is the culture. Sure, um, which I guess is somewhere in there. Well, and you it's, were described as a as a Buju in one way. Yeah, thing, which, which I, that's my nickname. Yeah. actually, Nunji Buju. I know you're yeah. a student. I, yeah. well, my first experience with Buddhism was um, going to Thailand, and in the drawer was a book. In the hotel room. Yeah, yeah. in the hotel room. And sure. I remember reading it. Yeah, and it really struck me deeply. Huh. Um, so when I came back, I had a friend of mine from college um, who taught Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And I asked him about it. I said, tell me about Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So he wrote me. I said, it's on my bulletin board. It's 30 years old, 30, but it's still on my bulletin board. Mm-hmm. Inside. Um, and he, he went through about a 10-page, um, really beautiful explanation of Buddhism. And the last part was, and now you can forget everything I wrote because your walks on the beach any, every morning are the essence of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah. I never, I think for me, this was my finding Maui in 74 became my spiritual grounding and my spiritual A connection. A lot of people talk about this place that yeah. way, right? Yeah, so this, for me, this is more than, yeah. I've never been big on organizing anything. Yeah. Um, and I've always, um, I get crazy when I go to the Vatican, which I've been to a few times. Yeah, that's blood, pretty organized. And my blood starts to boil yeah. when I see the homeless people outside and the, uh, and, and the amount of wealth inside. Hi, Wookie. Mm-hmm. Well, Wookie is showing up. Might be a good opportunity, <laughs> uh, opportunity to uh, close. Well, thank down. you, David. Great to see you. Yeah, great as to see always. you, too. And Chef, thank you so much for, oh, uh, my for pleasure, joining. Man. Thank you for coming over. I'm sure people will be happy to. I'm looking forward to our dinner. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.